Uh, if you're not familiar with what we do, we are uh, here to provide opportunity for you to have community. And in that, we have these groups that we're starting. We have about 17 groups called affinity groups. And as you, maybe you walked in and saw some of those, you can sign up at the tent outside before or after service. And we'd love for you to get involved in community, take advantage of some community. And there's a different type of group for all different types of people. And again, the goal is to get in community, get to know other people, invite people, and ultimately come around the cause of Christ and what he's doing in our lives. So we're excited about offering those affinity groups. Let me give you another thing before we get to the message today. You have uh, your seat or in the back right there, this journey to the cross. We talked about it last week. We are going all out this Easter because this is a great, great week to really celebrate and think about Christ and all that he's done in our life. Don't let it just be another thing, right? Like Walmart has the eggs out, right? And you're like, okay, Target. Everybody's like being festive for Easter. And you're just, we're ready for the next thing already, right? We've been talking about Easter for a long time. Don't do that. Really take a moment this week to get serious about what it is and take an opportunity to take advantage of the things that we're offering. It's a couple of things. Today's Palm Sunday, as we're gonna talk about in one second. We've got this thing we're calling Journey to the Cross Experience. And this experience starts Thursday. We're gonna have opportunities and there's gonna be different stations all around our building that a creative team has put together to really help us not just hear the message of the cross, but go on the journey a little bit and read and, and feel and be a part of that. And we wanna invite you, come right after work, five o'clock on Thursday, we're gonna open it's from five to about eight. We want you to register online, get involved. You can register on our app as well, just so that we can make sure there's enough um, time and room for everybody. We'll also offer this Friday, and then we're having a Good Friday service. So you're welcome to come, Good Friday service, 7 p.m. We'd love for you to come. And then next week, say next week. Make sure you're with me. Sunday next week, we have three services. Yeah. And we have incredible volunteers ready. It takes about 40 to 50 volunteers every week just to pull off services and make it happen. And so we're excited to be able to offer extra services as our children's ministry is growing and this place is filling up. So we have an 830 and then we have a 10 and then we have an 11.30 and each service will be about an hour, 15 minutes and we'll continue with three services. So there's a lot going on. We're very excited about all God's doing at City Life Church. We want you to be a part of it and be a part of our community and get connected. Sounds good? All right, let's get into the word today as we're talking about Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? We've had I talked to people recently, like, I'm just not really familiar with this. And maybe you're new to the faith or new to church or just new to some of these traditions in general. Let's talk about this a little bit. And let's first go to scripture. John chapter 12, verse 9 through 19. Check this out. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom... He had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. As we celebrate this entrance into Jerusalem from Jesus on this donkey and the palm branches. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. Now, we understand celebrating entrances, don't we? Maybe, uh, maybe you think about going to a wedding. We just recently had an awesome wedding uh, celebrating Sterling and Holly Love, best last name ever, right? Um, double the love. A lot of us were there at the ceremony. It was a great ceremony. And maybe you're thinking, you could think about a wedding you were at, or maybe you were a bride and you know the entrance that the bride has. If you remember as a bride, I don't know this personally, but I can assume as the doors are opening and there's all the people that you love and you're entering into this room, you probably remember that. If you've been to a wedding or been a part of a wedding, or maybe you're the lowly groom sitting there while everybody stands for the bride, okay, come on. But that's actually should be how it is. Everybody stands up and just her entrance and the music, it's phenomenal, this grand entrance into a new place. We've all experienced some type of entrance. Maybe for you, I know for me, I think about a grand entrance and one of the most grand entrances in my life is the grand entrance into the delivery room for my children to be birthed. I know I'm entering into a room and I'm leaving very differently. I'm exiting very differently and it's a very grand entrance you guys know this. Some of us are about to experience this for the first time. We're excited for some of our couples. In fact, I want to mention, I don't know if Carrie is here. She just got engaged to Duncan. Where's, where's Carrie? Yeah. I don't know if you were in here. So we got another wedding coming. It's exciting. These grand entrances, I also think of the movie Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. You should get it on Netflix. It's good. Great movie. Russell Crowe, right? Um, he comes out, he's going and he's a gladiator and, and you kind of have this scene. I don't know if you remember, but are you not to entertain, right? He comes out and, and the doors are there and he walks out in this huge arena about to fight for his life and just that grand entrance into that. I, I also think of, I, I grew up with Seinfeld. I think of Kramer, his grand entrances, all right? He's just, here we are. We understand and we feel and we've seen these grand entrances, maybe even a part of a grand entrance. The reason why we celebrate this day and have celebrated Christians all over the world for thousands of years is because this day was Jesus' grand entrance and the beginning of a long week. And the beginning in scripture where you see in every gospel an example or what was happening leading up to Jesus now entering into this grand entrance, ultimately to a cross and a grand exit from this world. This grand entrance means something to everybody. And for us as Christians, it's the arrival of Christ coming. It's like this red carpet moment 
Like you think of the Oscars and what are you wearing? Well, I've got this robe that my mom made me, right? Like Jesus is grand coming into this place. But in order, I think, for us to really understand what was happening on that Palm Sunday, it's essential for us to know context of what was going on biblically, what was going on in the culture, what had led up to that. Why even celebrate Palm Sunday and ultimately Passover, which was that week as well. This concept in this festival of Passover in Jerusalem was held because in the beginning in Exodus, while the Israelites were under the foot and slaves of the Egyptians and Pharaoh, he had killed their boys, he had persecuted all of them, and they were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God came through Moses using Moses, but sent these 10 plagues in Exodus. And the last plague was an angel that was gonna come and wipe out the firstborn in the land the same way Pharaoh had wiped out the firstborn of the Israelites because Pharaoh in his stubbornness kept hardening his heart and saying, no, I won't let the people go. Finally, the last draw was, was God going, here we go. Here's my last attempt and I know this is gonna work. And he says, I'm gonna kill the firstborn born in the same manner you tried. And he went to the Israelites and he said, here's what I'm gonna do. The way they would make covenant with people is they would sacrifice an animal to show they understood life was in the blood and to show that a part of that, if you heed what I tell you to do, then we will be in covenant and things will go well and we will be together just like a marriage covenant. But the, the visual of the death of this animal was also, if you don't continue and do the things that you told me to do, I'm in essence entering into this covenant saying, then you can kill me the same way this animal is killed. That's the power of a covenant. That's the power even of a marriage covenant of what two individuals back then would do and step into even blood. This is why we have a red carpet a lot of times in our weddings. I don't know if you know this. We have one party and the other party and they come together and it's symbolic to say, what's done to that? If I don't fulfill my vows, you can do this to me. It's a powerful symbol. And it's not just a contract and just a license. It's a symbol. And God comes in and says, I'm gonna make this symbol. So I want you to get this lamb and I want you to put the blood on the posts of the door. And as the angel goes, if he sees that, he knows your faith is in me and you've heeded my words and you are part of my people and he will pass over you. That's why we call it Passover. He will pass over you. And so what had happened? He passed over the Israelites that did that in obedience. And I believe maybe even some of the Egyptians potentially that maybe decided to believe after all these plagues and locusts, maybe I'll trust this dude. <laughs> but Pharaoh's son died and Pharaoh was dismayed and says, go, and he leaves. And ever since, every year they celebrate, the Israelite people would celebrate the Passover, and they would have this grand feast and people would come and they would buy lambs and they would sacrifice for their family. In fact, the, the, the son, when he turned 12, it was like a rite of passage to be a man and he could go and sacrifice in Jerusalem at the temple for his family, but only one could go into the Holy of Holies. The priest would sacrifice the lamb on behalf the atonement, which means covering of all the sins of everybody. It was, a, it was the most powerful celebration. Everybody came, and in fact, it was a wild, wild time. They would celebrate and get excited. And what was happening previously, is, as we read, Jesus, just a couple weeks before Passover, had 
showed up to this town called Bethany, which is east, kind of southeast off of uh, Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. And he's in Bethany, like he would constantly, he would go there a lot, especially when he was going to Jerusalem, he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem often. He would go to Bethany and he has these friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he's on his way to, to go there, but on his way to Passover with his disciples. And he stops in Bethany and he's gonna hang out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had heard Lazarus is sick. He knew what has happened and he walks into a funeral and Lazarus is dead. Now, without going into all the details, we know Jesus then ultimately shows up and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of his tomb, right? Like the walking dead. And Rick Grimes is like, come on out, right? And he is now alive. And all of these witnesses, even Jewish witnesses that weren't a part and weren't disciples of Jesus were going, we've never seen anything like this. It was like the epitome of a miracle. Can you imagine if you knew someone was dead over four days? And he stunk and it was nasty. And Jesus just says a word and he comes out. And now he's alive. And all of these other Jews of the religious sect, Pharisees and Sadducees are going, man, he's gaining too much popularity. We got to kill him. And in fact, we got to kill Lazarus. But I think it's funny. He just raised him from the dead. We're going to kill that dude though. Okay, Jesus is kind of powerful, don't you think? And listen, this is the scene right before everyone's getting ready for Passover and this huge feast where, let me tell you, Jews, devout Jews from all over the world would come and enter and do a pilgrimage into Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, at the time, there was a historian named Josephus, and we know from his writings that Jerusalem could hold or have roughly the city, Jerusalem, and, the, and surrounding areas could have about 50,000 people, according to jo Josephus. At the time when the Passover would come, it would more than double into the 100,000, 120,000 people would come. So you imagine, just think with me, the stench, the animals, that many people. How many of you guys ever go to the rodeo here in Houston? And you're just like, okay, I'm not going that day. Too many people, can't even get to a bathroom. My turkey legs ain't that good. You could fry whatever. I'm not going at this time. Yet for them, all of them, they would converge because this was such a huge celebration, such a rite of passage. It's a gigantic festival that everyone is getting ready for. And Jesus is getting ready and he tells his disciples, let's go. And there's all of this buzz and excitement for what Jesus has done. And people are going crazy and hearing what is going on. Lazarus, somebody raised from the dead. No way, I gotta see this. I knew he was dead. I was at the funeral for a couple of days. I left, like what is happening? All of the buzz happening. And Jesus tells his disciples, usually they walk everywhere, but he says, hey, go get me a donkey. And in fact, I call, I call this the, the Jedi Jesus. Like, he's like, go to that dude over there and just tell him the Lord needs it. You will give me this donkey. <laughs> and it works, right? And he does. And he gives him a donkey and he's riding in on a donkey. And we go, well, why a donkey? What is happening? What is, we, just, we just kind of throw this out there, this colt, this donkey. What, what is going on? There's all of this excitement around there's all of this buzz. I mean, it's like a NASCAR event. They're, he's on the donkey and there's like RVs over here. And there's like tents over here. And imagine it's 100,000 people camped out around the city because they can't find space to sleep. But they're all going to end up converging and, and having a festival and celebrating this Passover that's coming. They have to be prepared. And they're lining the streets that they have heard about Jesus. And he's riding in on a donkey and they start throwing palm branches down and throwing their own cloaks down. 
And it's causing quite a stir in the community. What's really interesting is that we call this day Palm Sunday because of the palm branches, which we'll talk about why. But at the time, they wouldn't have called it Palm Sunday. They actually, there was a day that they were celebrating at this time, though, and it was called Lamb Selection Day. And this was the day, just from Exodus and the Passover, that they would select their lamb. They would find a pure young lamb, and they would select it. They would be buying lamb. They would have it to be prepared to do their sacrifices, to atone for their sins, and to cry out to God for a Savior for someone to come. Jesus chose this day of all days to go into and enter into Jerusalem. Lamb sacrifice day. What's interesting is John would call Jesus the lamb of God who was slain from the beginning of the foundation of the world. He didn't say, there's the lion of Judah, which is a weird metaphor, by the way, isn't it? But a lamb. And Jesus is on a donkey entering in. And the scripture would say he's entering in from the east gate called the golden gate, which many prophecies would say their Messiah, their king was gonna come through that gate. Oftentimes it was told that they would even leave the gate open just welcoming and waiting for the entrance of their new Lord and their new Messiah. Now, what's interesting about this is he is on his way, he's coming from the east, and he would be on a, on a cult, and you can't quite from Bethany, because it's on a slope, the southeast end of the Mount of Olives, there's a slope because it's a mountain, it's a very mountainous area in Israel, you can't quite see Jerusalem yet, but there's this point, you kind of go over this hill, and you come down, and then you go up to Jerusalem, and now you're seeing, and again, all of these people are just flooding and praising God because this man who is doing miracles and fighting the system and the religious people, like you either love Jesus or you hate him. And the people are coming in droves going, I've heard what he's done. This has to be our king. And they cry out Hosanna, which means save us. God save us now. And they're believing this is our Messiah. This is the new Moses. This is our King. He's going to ride in and he's going to enter through the East, just like the scripture says. And he's going to deliver his people from Rome. Coming in that East gate, just like scripture says. And that's what they're believing as they're throwing down palm branches. In fact, the significance of the palm branch is interesting. Even archaeologists have found coins that Israelites had of palm branches on the coins. They wouldn't have a figure, a person, but they found palm branches signifying, it'd be like an American flag or like a golden eagle that we would have. So it signifies being a patriot and believing in victory and that that is a king. And they're throwing down palm branches, declaring him king as he's entering into the East Gate, into Jerusalem. Now, what's really interesting is at the time, remember, they're under the rule of Rome. And Rome has their foot on their neck. Taxation is ridiculous. Revolts have happened. And there was a Caesar named Tiberius at the time. And Tiberius, they, Rome was so large and had so many regions, there were different leaders for different regions. And he appointed this guy named Pilate. You might be familiar with him. Pilate was appointed as the king of that region 
or the leader of that region, and specifically the region of Caesarea. I won't get too nerdy with you. But what would happen is Pilate knew that the festivities of the Israelites' Passover week was so big and so grand, he knew he had to come in and make his own grandstand during that time. Because they needed to make sure when all of Israel would come into this land that they knew who was the boss. And what's very interesting is Pilate would come, and we know through history, would bring about 600 armed guards with him with shiny uh, symbols of justice and their type of justice and armor. And they would come in marching, and you could hear the march, and they would come in from the west gate on horses and chariots and 600 men saying, we have authority, we have power. Don't forget who you belong to. On the east end, is a lowly religious miracle worker riding in on a donkey full of grace and peace. On the West End is the powerful authority coming in to remind you who's boss with a brigade of men ready to put their foot on your neck and stop any kind of revolts that have happened before. It's a powerful image what was going on in that land. In fact, it reminded me, one of my favorite shows growing up, of course, you know, I grew up watching TV and stuff in the 90s, right? Um, I was born in 1980, but really 90s is mostly what I remember. And I love the show American Gladiators. Anybody ever watch American Gladiators? I'm dating myself a little bit. They tried to do a new one, didn't work. It's crazy, American gladiators, because what they would do is they would have these huge gladiators come out and they would have rock and music and they had smoke and be like, Gemini is his name. And he walks out, Helga, like the girl and, and like these huge bodybuilders. And like what the goal was, you'd have those big guys and then you would have Mike, an accountant from Burbank, right? And, and he would be, have to go against this gladiator and like duels and different things. And I mean, it was just, it was kind of a crazy show. Watch it, you're like, okay. And, and Mike's like, man, you know, I came out here just doing this for my kids. And I just, I just, I just want to need some money. And, and, and you got this glutter, Helga, right? It's like, all right. Helga used to lift weights. Now she eats them. And now it's like, oh my gosh. And you have like this power and then you have like Mike. That's the picture I want you to have of what's going on at this time in Palm Sunday. Lamb selection day. Power from Rome in the west and on the east. Moving west is Jesus on a cult. Being, being already, listen, commissioned and crowned king palm branches. Cloaks. Hosanna, save us God. You're our Messiah, you're our Moses, you're gonna come in. And he doesn't come in with horses and chariots, he comes in with a donkey. And at that time, when kings would conquer a land, if they came into the land with power and authority, they would come in with their horses and chariots to fight, to be ready for battle. If they came into a land on a donkey, they were declaring peace. I've already won and now I'm coming and I'm bringing peace to you. I'm not gonna make you slaves, I'm gonna bring peace. And Jesus is bringing peace and they're declaring him king. So imagine, listen, on one side you're hearing 
the music and the drumming of an army. On the other side, you're hearing praise and worship of a king. And the Pharisees finally come and they go, okay, something's wrong because if, if people hear that this guy, they're calling him king, they're gonna actually kill us all. And they're very concerned about what's gonna happen next. You've got the picture, the painting of what's going on. What I want to do is invite you this week to remember why Jesus entered that moment for you and me. You see, even though there was this juxtaposition between power and humility, the people of Israel did not understand what Jesus was about to do. They thought he was coming to bring peace and gonna bring a different kind of peace. A peace that's actually gonna tear my enemies into pieces and become king and we're gonna have our nation again. And Jesus came in going, no, I'm going to prepare as a lamb for slaughter, for cross. Imagine Jesus' perspective on this donkey and riding in and knowing the same people crying out, Hosanna, are gonna be the same people crying out, crucify him. Jesus, then we see, we know we, he comes in and he doesn't just get off the donkey and say, yes, I'm here. But the scripture actually, I believe it's in the book of Luke says, he then weeps for the city. He's weeping because he's going, you don't understand what my mission ultimately is, but he knew it. He didn't enter in thinking one thing. He knew what he was going in for while the people didn't understand. How many times in our life do we ask God to enter in to the gates of our heart and we're expecting one thing and he gives us the thing we really need. I want us to draw out a few conclusions as we wrap up, thinking of Palm Sunday, but even into this journey to the cross and into Easter. I wanna give you three things to consider from this passage, number one. As we've been saying, Jesus came as a lamb because we needed him to. And I use the word needed because it's not what we want. It's what we need though. Oftentimes we want God just to give us a quick fix, everything to work out, and just make us feel better. And God comes in and says, no, this is gonna take more than you can dream. More than maybe you, you even want to think about because I'm not just gonna give you what you want, I'm gonna give you what you need because here's the deal, you have cancer in your life and I can't put a Band-Aid on it like you want me to. I've got to surgically go in and remove it. And you're thinking the problem in my life right now is those people and that person. If, if God, you could just get rid of that person. Like, I know you got to sacrifice somebody. They're the lamb, make them the lamb, right? I hope you're not sitting next to that person. Like get that guy. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm coming for this one. And I've got to cut away some things in you that, listen, you've been trying, you've been working hard, you've been doing everything you can, you've got the best self-help books, you've listened to the podcast, and nothing is changing. You know why? Because I made it from the very beginning that it's going to take something so much grand and so much greater. You can't do it on your own. I'm going to do it for you. 
And we need a lamb. And Jesus comes in on lamb selection day saying, this is me. I'm going to be that lamb and take the sin of the whole world. I'm going to go to an enemy, not the enemy you think, but I'm going to go to the enemy within that can only be dealt with by me and my blood. Number two, when Jesus enters, things change. Every time Jesus went to a place, people would get healed or demons cast out. Every time he enters into an arena or a room or a place or a people or a house, things change and that will never change. If you say Jesus has entered into my life and nothing has changed, that's not the same Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's a Jesus you think that's gonna ride in on a horse and chariot And he comes in in a very different way to get to the root of our sin. And ultimately the scripture would say to not just band-aid or surgically help our heart, but to remove it and give us a new one. Because that's what we need. We need a new way of thinking. We need a new way of living. We need a new heart. And every time he enters, that's what he's gonna give. But here's the deal. He doesn't force his way in. He comes on a donkey, not a chariot. And we have to say, whatever, you are God, I am not. Do whatever, change me. That's our step. That's our part. That's our responsibility. And we just let him with scalpel in hand, remove and give us a new life and a new heart. And then it should change us, but he won't force himself in. We have to open our heart to him. Finally, number three, I want you to think about and dwell in thinking about these passages this week. Even though he is a lamb and he came as a lamb, he's the true king. Dijer Bonhoeffer, famous writer who was ultimately martyred says this, God allows himself to be edged out of the world and onto the cross. And that is the way, the only way in which he can be with us and help us. Only a suffering God can help. He didn't just pronounce be healed, be fine. He chose to step into our dirty world and climb into it and actually become the very disease that was killing us so in his new life, he could destroy the disease and give us a new life. He's not just a lamb. He doesn't just stay a lamb. He is the true king. And that's why we cry out, Hosanna. That's why we sing this morning, God save me. I'm trying to save myself. I'm trying to just be better and do my thing instead of submitting to the true king. I'm trying to learn how to be a better king and you are king. I'm your servant. Hosanna, Hosanna, save me. Release me from me. This is why everyone in this room, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how bad you think you are, Your responsibility is simply just to open the door and declare the true king and the rightful king. 
And you're gonna have people that try to shut you down. Look at Luke chapter 19, 37 through 40 says this. This is a, in the Luke, we've been in John, but this is Luke's representation of the same account. He says this, as he, Jesus was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had they, that they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Again, they're afraid. Tell them to be quiet because if they pronounce him as king, man, we're gonna die. Rome is gonna kill us. There's no other king supposed to be careful, especially this guy. And look what Jesus' response. Jesus, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He says, all of creation recognizes me as king. The wind obeys me at my word. The water, the grass sings praises to God. And if, if I shut them up, the very rocks will cry out. What's interesting is six days later, the rocks would cry out as he died in an earthquake for the true king. See, I don't know about you, but I, I feel there's just so much tension in our culture, in our life, in our world between the rightful king and what we want and what we need and what God has to offer and the light and the darkness. And we know this tension, we feel this tension, we understand, we fight against it constantly. And God is trying to get into us the true reality and recognizing that Jesus is the real king and the way this king comes is diametrically opposed to everything I've ever thought. Jesus has the cure and I simply receive and obey and follow him and who he is. And I don't know about you, but I love following humble people. And it's hard to follow a prideful person. And you can follow or get your paycheck from a prideful person, but they're not gonna have your heart like a humble person, much less a humble God. This is what we celebrate and cry out Hosanna for in this Palm Sunday, the humble King that came not just to help us, to change us and change our status from sinners to saints, change our status from lowly servants to friends of God with a changed heart, to change our status from needing a priest to sacrifice a lamb for us to Jesus being the lamb for all of us so I can go directly to God in a relationship. And it's God pouring out his heart saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'll show you. God will never tell you to do something he won't do himself. Open your heart to him. That's the kind of king I would follow all day. Somebody powerful enough to defeat death and yet humble enough to die for me. Wow. Oh. Powerful enough to call out Lazarus to life. Humble enough to sacrifice himself to death. Whew. That's the Jesus I want. 
I said, Jesus, I'd be foolish not to submit to you. Now, I think we all have questions. We all have things that keep us from ultimately submitting our life to God. I was talking to my daughter this week, Cadence. You're welcome, Cadence. And she was texting, she was texting one of her friends back and forth and she was giving me their text information. And one of her friends was like, you know, I'm struggling with God and belief, right? She was, she was reading this to me on the way to our 30 minute drive to school. Um, she's reading back and forth in this text message and the, the, the girl ultimately saying, okay, but I, I'm still struggling with the concept of a good God that if you don't follow his rules and go his way, that he's gonna cast you to hell. What about the people that never hear and never know? And it's a, it's a struggle people have. What kind of God would do that? That's an evil God. And I think for Easter, we need to think about the actual story, life story of what Jesus has done. She said, I, I don't know how to answer her. It is a good question. It's a common question. And I said, well, okay, let me give you a metaphor. Let's say you have the cure for cancer. And not only you just heard about this cure, but you yourself say, I had cancer. I took this. I no longer have cancer. And I have a long line of friends and people that have taken this thing and they no longer have cancer. And if you come to me and I'm offering it to you and I'm saying, you have cancer, here's the cure. And I'm offering it to you. And you say, I'm not gonna take that because there's people with cancer in another country that haven't received it. I would say to you, you're crazy. Why? Because you take it and now you go share it with those people. That's the mandate of the gospel. Why don't those people know that's not fair? Well, take the medicine and go share it with them. Take it to them because Jesus has done the work I receive it and now I administer it to other people in the same manner. So for me to say, I'm not gonna take it because they don't know about it would be foolish for me. But also there's another part of this. If I say, I'm not gonna take it because they don't know about it. What makes you think if I went and took it to them that they wouldn't have some other reason why they shouldn't take it too? Do you understand? how this works. That's why the Bible calls this good news, not good advice, but good news. The good news is that Jesus has done the work, you receive it, and we take it throughout the world saying, God loves you so much, and in the midst of all the evil and the stuff of life that we're seeing and we struggle with, we can know that God loves us because of what he has done for us. And history is proven and witnesses have shown. We just gotta remove our blind eyes and receive the cure. This is what Easter is all about. Not looking at God in this way, but looking at him in the right way and ultimately heeding and receiving the message that he's the lamb that was slain for us on our behalf to save us and give us a new life. Why don't you stand to your feet we're gonna close with worship. I want us to sing.
the song again, Hosanna. And maybe if you're in here and you know God's stirring some things in your heart and in your life, and there's questions and there's blockers, stops, but you've tried everything and God's saying, just let me enter in. Some of you need the peace of God that really passes understanding and the presence of God is real and tangible and he wants to come in, but he's waiting for that invitation. He's saying, God, I want you, your king, enter in to my gate. And I think as we sing and as we praise, as we cry out, it's not just words, it's not just a song we sing, but it becomes a heart's cry and a prayer. Hosanna, save me. Save me from this situation. Save me. Maybe give me a new heart if you don't know Christ. Maybe it's, God, I've got this new heart, but I'm struggling in these areas like we all do. God, come and let your presence and your peace fill me. That's my prayer as we worship. You receive the King who comes. Father, we welcome you and we ask for your presence as we worship, we cry out Hosanna in the highest. Change our lives, open our hearts in Jesus' name.